He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. Doesn't ask for much. A little music and a soft touch. Why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage, singing in your chest. You wanna shut it up but give it a rest. You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation? Running from a confrontation, wondering what we ought to say. <laughs> When everyone we've ever known is headed for a headstone, I don't wanna give the end away. We're gonna die one day. We're gonna die one day. We're gonna die one day. So baby, what's a big If you wanna be free, say what you wanna feel. Spend the night with me. I'm gonna take you up in my arms, and if we must go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground. This one's hard, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this morning I, I woke up and uh, I intended to put together a podcast today. I wasn't sure which episode I would share with you this week. I figured I'd take a look at what I've got. I've got 15 or 20 that are awaiting release and uh, they're all great. And so I thought I'd take a look and figure it out sort of make it up as I go along the way I normally do. And um, first thing in the morning after I took a shower and had a coffee, I looked at my emails. And there was an email from Daniele Bolelli, subject line, sorry to be the bearer of bad news. And um, the bad news was that Bennett Grunberg, who you've heard me talk about, quite a bit on this podcast. Uh, he's, he was the owner of Shore Design T-shirts, who is, were, was, has been the, the first and uh, favored sponsor of this podcast since the very beginning. Um, the news was that Bennett died last night, which was beyond unexpected. Um, Bennett was my age, early 50s, um, and I understand people in their early 50s die, but I had just recorded a podcast with Bennett a couple of months ago in Bangkok, and that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. Um, one thing that we don't talk about in the podcast is that we recorded it sitting in his hospital room. And we didn't mention it because in a brief conversation before I turned on the microphones, um, I asked Bennett if, if he wanted to talk about what he was going through at the moment. And he said, why don't we save that for a future podcast? And I said, fine. And um, so we didn't we didn't mention it. Um, but here's the story. 
I've been, I, sorry for the verb tenses. It's hard for me to wrap my head around this. Um, I had been corresponding with Bennett for years now um, because he supplied T-shirts that we sell, that my mom sells, and that many of you own and proudly wear and send me photos of yourselves, and it's great. Um, and the thing is, you know, a lot of those emails were me saying, hey, man, can we get another 50, you know, civilized to death men's large and da, da, da. and then he would, yeah, okay, they're on their way. And I'd say, send me the bill, man. And he'd say, okay, I'll send you the bill. And then, you know, a month or two later, I would say, hey, man, do you never sent me the bill for those shirts? And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. Uh, and he never did. And he never did because that was his way of of um, showing his support for the podcast. And he never made a big deal out of it. He never um, asked me to mention him by name or to... He never even asked me to mention the company by name. He didn't give a damn. It wasn't about generating sales or whatever. It was about him being in a position where I guess he was making enough that he didn't really need to worry about a few hundred shirts here or there. And... Uh, he really believed in what we were doing, and I know that uh, he was supporting Duncan, uh, Duncan Trussell Family Hour, and Daniel Bolelli's Drunken Taoist podcast, um, and probably a few others as well that I don't even know about. Um, but Bennett really believed in the uh, the notion of free speech, I guess, and, and some of the things that we were talking about. Uh, on the podcast, he wanted people to be able to hear, and so he pitched in um, very generously to help make that happen. So, the story is that maybe four or five months ago, um, Bennett went to the dentist, and for some routine dental thing, I don't know what it was, a root canal or something, and um, he at the dentist wasn't feeling so well and so something happened i don't remember the the details but he ended up going in to get some tests um see what was going on and the test came back he was in the hospital and the test came back and said um you've got leukemia you have like virtually no white blood cells and we don't treat leukemia here, so you have to go to Bangkok. And But he was too weak to leave the hospital, so he chartered a plane and got himself medevaced to a hospital in Bangkok. And um, so this happened a couple months before we got to Thailand because we had been planning to, to meet him there, see him. He lived in Chiang Mai, and so we wanted to meet this guy after all these years of his support and chatting with him by email. So when we got to Bangkok, I didn't know any of this. We got to Bangkok, and I sent him an email saying, hey, man, we're going to be in Chiang Mai in two weeks. You know, let's get together. And he wrote back and said, yeah, listen, I probably won't be in Chiang Mai. I'm in Bangkok. I've got this little medical thing happening. Um, but, you know, I've got this uh, great condo up there. You guys are welcome to use it. And, you know, my mom, will, she's up there and she, she'll give you the keys. And, and um, Cassie and I talked about it, but I felt uncomfortable accepting this generosity from a guy I still hadn't met and a guy who had already... Um, you know, been overly generous to the podcast to the tune of several thousand dollars, at least in, in T-shirt invoices that somehow never arrived. So I said, no, thanks. But we corresponded a bit more and, and got the story, which was this whole leukemia scare that popped up. And he was down in Bangkok getting chemotherapy. And he said he was feeling great and like he hadn't lost any hair or and his appetite was great. And everything was wonderful. And the chemo was going really well. And the prognosis was as positive as could be. So after we spent a month or so in Chiang Mai, we went down to Bangkok and arranged to go see him in the hospital. 
And it wasn't even clear if we were going to see him in the hospital because he said he was just about to be getting out of the hospital. So he might be out and we could go to dinner or whatever. As it turns out, our last night in Thailand was his last night in the hospital. So we went and uh, we spent a couple hours there in the hospital and recorded the conversation you're about to hear. And then we left from his room and went directly to the airport and flew out to South Africa. So if you follow this podcast, you know that was very recently. That was, what, six weeks ago or something. So I knew he had gotten out of the hospital the next morning. I felt, you know, we're Facebook friends. I saw he was back up in Chiang Mai. He was out with his friends having dinner and everything was cool. And uh, a couple days ago, I sent him an email. Hey, buddy, how you doing? You know, send us an update. Didn't hear from him. Okay, whatever. A couple days. That's no problem. And then this morning, I got the email from Daniele. Apparently, when we were there, Bennett's mother um, had donated her stem cells. And he was having stem cell transplant. And I thought it had already happened. I didn't understand that they took them from his mother and then waited a month or so before they would implant them in him. But I guess that's how it works. And... The few sketchy details that I know is something went wrong in the implantation process, and he died. So there you go. Strange times. Strange times. Prince? Who the fuck saw that coming? Prince? 57 years old? Definitely fit? Jehovah's Witness, no booze, no drugs. Prince. Yeah. So um, that's the story. As some of you might have heard me talk about, I had an idea for a podcast. I think I've talked about it publicly, but the idea was that I would go to nursing homes and find old people or people with terminal illnesses who know that their time left is very limited and we would record a conversation in which they knew that I wouldn't release it while they were still alive I thought that would be okay it's a little morbid a little disturbing but I thought for some people it might be really liberating I thought that some people might feel free to say things that they wouldn't, knowing that those words wouldn't be public until they were gone. And, um, yeah, I haven't gotten around to it. It's There's a lot of work involved in finding the right people and legal release forms and all that sort of thing that... that you know, you'd have to you'd have to be very careful about doing a podcast like that, I think. Um, but anyway, it's an idea that's been kicking around in my head for quite a while. And uh, I didn't imagine that it would happen like this. So here it is, the first episode of Tangentially Speaking, in which the guest died between the time of its recording and the time of its release. Bennett Grunberg. I'm going to play you out <clears throat> with a song that um, I know that Bennett enjoyed a lot called Genesis by Yorma Kokonen. And then I'm going to, at the end of the podcast, I'll play a tune called Wei, W-E-I, by Papa Wimba, who also died this week. Um, he died on stage uh, while performing in a concert in Senegal, I think. No, in Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast. Anyway, he's got an amazing voice. He um, was known as the... James Brown of Africa, among some circles. Uh, he's from Congo originally. 
Papa Wemba. Okay, hope you enjoy this podcast. It's a very special one. I'm sorry if it's uh, disturbing. I haven't listened to our conversation since, you know, since having it. So I don't know if we talk about life and death issues any more than, than I do with most guests. Um, I'll be listening to it for the first time along with you. I thought it was better to just let it go. I'm not going to edit anything or play any games. Hope you enjoy this. Uh, sorry for the sad note. Enjoy life while it lasts, because you're going to die one day. Times come for us to pause And think of living as it was into the future we must cross, must cross I'd like to go with you And I'd like to go with you You say I'm harder than a wall A marble shaft about to fall Dearer than them all, them all. So let me stay with you. So let me stay with you. Bennett, 
someone I've long wanted to have on this podcast and uh, someone I just met, uh, what, 24 hours ago yep. or 20 yep. hours ago. Uh, Bennett is located in Thailand, where we are now in Bangkok. We're, Cassie and I are flying to Africa in about four hours. And uh, luckily, we were able to, to convince Bennett to sit down and chat with us for a while. So here we are. Welcome, Bennett. Thank you. Almost, almost missed you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. We were supposed to meet in Chiang Mai, but some stuff came up. Uh, and we weren't able to uh, to hook up with Bennett in Chiang Mai. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Uh, but first, I wanted to talk about your story. Like y you told a little bit of the story last night when we were hanging out, and it, there was. Uh, I mean, let's go back. You you are in Thailand because what? 1990, you said. 1990. Uh, I had a, a store in Norfolk, Virginia, at the Waterside Mall. Uh, I was selling tie-dye t-shirts and uh, the store across from me was owned uh, by a, a guy who had grown up over here in Thailand. Um, his dad was in the military during the Vietnam War and he grew up speaking Thai and um, he owned a women's boutique and he was coming over here on a buying trip and he'd asked me if I wanted to come on a vacation and I said sure you know, went home, looked up where Thailand was, and the, you know, a week later, I was I was in Bangkok and getting on the train going up to Chiang Mai. Yeah, um, amazing. And was that your first trip to Asia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first trip out of the country. Ah. I had to rush and get a passport and you yeah. know, pay the extra fees, and um, yeah, that was that was a that was a big one. Changed your life. Absolutely. Uh, I. Once I once I got to Chiang Mai, I, I realized that that was the that was the place I wanted to be. Um, I, you know, I, I should I repeat the story? That sure. I told yeah, you? yeah. Um, That's the problem with uh, you know when we get together yeah, and talk, I and, and uh, I don't have the mics with me, and it's right. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it was yeah. I mean, I, I, I the most striking thing was was getting uh, was was walking down the street with him. It was about six in the morning. And you know the monks were out getting their you know morning alms, and people were on the street, and and everybody was smiling at me. And I remember turning to him and saying, you know, what, what the fuck's wrong with these people? Why are they? You know, why is everybody looking at me like that? Right. Why is everybody? Is my fly down or something? Yeah. What, what did I do? You know, because I'm you know, and uh, and he, he turned to my friend turned to me and just said, you know, it's because they're happy. They're just friendly. And, and I, you know, it took me a while to realize that that was true. I didn't right. believe it at first. And you know, after a while, you you start to see how people you know live with so much less and are so much happier. Yeah. Um, and I knew right away that that was you know that was the place I. I wanted to be, yeah. and I was going to do whatever it took to get back to that place. And you grew up in Wilkesboro, Pennsylvania. Is it? I, I was born in in Harrisburg. I grew up and went to school in in Wilkesboro, um, and then uh, w when I graduated high school, I moved to Boston. Mm. Um, right. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time in Pennsylvania. My parents lived in Harrisburg for 22 years or something. It's a weird place, huh? Not a lot of smiling for no reason. No, not, yeah. not so much. It's not a lot of random happiness. No, not not in coal mining, Wolfsburg. Yeah. yeah, there was a... Uh, coal mining, like German, Irish, Polish, Polish, Italian. Kind of yeah. dour. Yeah, you serious. Know, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, was, it was a weird place to grow up. You know, it was, it was definitely... It's definitely strange, um, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I couldn't wait to get back here. So yeah, so you fell in love with the place. You you felt the infectious happiness, and once you got over your paranoia as to what everyone was yeah, laughing yeah, about. yeah, it, and that took a while. It really did. <laughs> yeah, was, I you know, you, I'm a little paranoid, <laughs> but uh, you know what? You know what? I'm I'm a big deadhead, and I used to go to a lot of dead shows, right. follow them around, and. Um, I I also remember one of the one of the really uh, striking things that got me was um, it's were you there for the Sunday Walk Street in Chiang Mai? Did you do the the mm. walking street? Mm -mm. You didn't do that. I don't think so. No. Oh, who took you around? You should smack him in the head. <laughs> I should. Yeah. Seriously, 
Yeah, I don't even know if we were there on a Sunday. I, I don't really know. Well, that's just what, wrong. What is you that? We went to the night market. No, no, got a lot of foot totally massages. Different. Well, you know, do you know where Taipei Road is? Do, do, mm, yeah, no, Taipei know. Gate. Oh, Taipei Gate. Sure, sure. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, Taipei Road is one of the roads that it goes off, but into the old city. No, the opposite direction, towards the river. Oh, okay. okay. I've walked on that road sure. a lot. Well, they yeah. used to block that whole street off, and uh. it would just be nothing but vendors on Sundays. Uh. No, no traffic, no cars. Right. And it got so big that they moved it to the other side of Taipei Gate, um, and it would. And now it goes on just forever. It's, it, uh. And Sundays are crazy. You can't drive anywhere. You, you know, the traffic's a mess, and right. just thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to it. But I remember... You know, on the first trip when I saw this and all the vendors had their stuff on the on the ground, you know, and they were just sitting there happy as could be, no customers, you know, just like la di da. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is a this is a dead show. This is like oh, right. it's a dead it's show without the music, you know. <laughs> and, and the and, cops. And, all right, and, right, exactly. And and there was music, and it's you know a lot of it. I don't know if you ever listened to the Isan like uh hillbilly kind of you know i just there was an article in vice i don't know if you saw this about how that music has been um sort of reconfigured with psychedelic uh, production well, and now it's like really big in european clubs well i no, i did not i'll send but, you the but link i should have cashed in on that 20 years ago because <laughs> exactly. I heard that music and I'm like oh my god it sounds just like the dead really yeah. oh yeah, it's, it's, oh it's I gotta so, send you that article it's so similar to you know Jerry's picking right style. um and so like I immediately felt at home you yeah. know it was like wow this is like there's food vendors and everybody's selling their homemade trinkets and clothing and yeah. you know it was just it struck me as like very familiar and I thought wow this this is Thailand is and again, you know, this is 1990. I was a lot younger and a little bit dumber. But so I was, was like, Thailand. Yeah, I was like, yeah. you know, wow, this country is like a big dead show. Like, I need to live here, you know? You know, I, that's, that's really interesting because I've always thought of Thailand as being incredibly sensual. Like colors, smells, Absolutely. the cooking, the beautiful people, the the flowers everywhere, yeah. the the vegetation. It's so it is psychedelic. It is. Oh, d- come it, on. Yeah, you don't even need to be high. Yeah, and and you can you can literally be so disoriented by the strange smells and tastes mm. and sounds. Um, I, I I completely agree with you. Yeah. I mean, even the, even the clothing, you know, yeah. the traditional clothing is is trippy as, as hell. Um, so yeah, I you know for me it was like oh yeah this is yeah this is where I need <laughs> I know to be this. Yeah. you know and and yeah. by the way I didn't feel that way in Bangkok and I didn't feel that way in Phuket. I, didn't feel uh, that, I mean yeah. I, I I liked it. I yeah. mean I had no problem with it. Right. But I was like oh no 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 this is where I you know this is where I need. You to really be. felt it in Chiang Mai. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. That's you know that. That's a very rare and fortunate thing to feel, I think. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. that sense of like, ah, oh, here's home. Right. I, I've never really felt that. I mean, I felt like when I go back to Barcelona now, it feels so familiar that there's some sense of home. Right. But I never, I've never arrived in a place and said, this is where I need to be. Right. My play. And, uh, yeah, sorry, we just have a, I'm not going to pause it for this. We have, we have a, some, a, an unexpected guest. Someone coming into the room to take some things. Um, but, yeah, that, that's a beautiful feeling. How old were you when, you, when you, that happened? So, let's see, that's 27, that was 24. Oh, 25. wow, young. Yeah. Now, do you think, was it specifically about Chiang Mai, do you think? Or was it possible you would have felt something similar in Bali or in no, Nepal? I've been to Bali. I've been to, I, I, you know, I'll never know because I've never been there first. But right. I've been to, you know, I've traveled all over Southeast Asia. And I love Luang Prabang. In, oh, in, in yeah, beautiful town. And, and yeah. Bali, if you're 20 and in good shape and, you know, a surfer, uh, you're, yeah. you know, it's the place to be, right. you know. But, um no, it was Chiang Mai. Right. It was it was the vibe, and and again in Chiang Mai at that time, you know, there were hardly any cars, you know, yeah. and like you would walk down the street, and every fifth or sixth house would have a TV, and there'd be five families all scattered <laughs> around watching TV. Yeah. You know, it was it, yeah. there were no, you know, no nightclubs. It was you know there was some some expats that had bars, and they would. 
they would put the 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 uh, sandwich board outside of what what video VHS tapes they were of movies, right. Western movies they were playing. Right, that I remember that. Right, yeah. that's how you decided where to go. And right, um, it was very slow paced. I mean, it was yeah. it was very, yeah. No, I immediately fell in love with it. I was up there around that time. Uh, Actually, we could figure out. I'm going to pull a Rogan right now and do a Google search. Yeah, go ahead. Live. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, Google. When did Mike Tyson fight James Bone Crusher Smith? Wow. Because that's when I was in Chiang Mai, 1987. Oh, that was, yeah, there you go. Um, because I remember, like, one of the cafes had a sign that they were going to show the fight. And right. I was interested, in, but it was, like, 7 in the morning. Right. And I got up, set an alarm, actually got up and went to this cafe. It was me and these two British guys watching the fight, and which, you know, was one of those one-round knockouts, I think. And, uh, and then I got to know those guys. Turned out they were both junkies, but not, like down and out junkies these were upper crust british functioning junkies. very functioning yeah. very funny charismatic one of them was the nephew of a member of parliament and the other was the son of a very famous author who i won't name not to get anyone in trouble um but i had read but his father's books i'll tell you yeah. later yeah <laughs> anyway i ended up hanging out with those guys uh quite a bit the the, the one and again this times it because the one guy had told his family he was coming, he wanted to be an actor, and he had a, a job on uh, Good Morning Vietnam that was filming in Thailand right, at that right, time, right. which was all bullshit. I mean, I don't think he even had an sure. extra thing. Uh, and then the two of them were taking turns, like asking their parents for money, and it had gotten to the stage where one of them had called the other one's parents and said that their son had been kidnapped and he was negotiating uh -huh. the release, but he needed money. It was, it, it, yeah, it was that's, that's, a, that's a step too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was pretty pathetic. <laughs> and then you know you've got it. But you know, it's funny, before you even mentioned that, I was gonna say that was, that was the time when you could go into the mountains in Chiang Mai mm. and just see poppies, right? you know, as far yeah. as the eye could see. Do you right. remember that? Did you ever go up there? Uh, I, no, I, I never did the tribal thing, um, but I rented a motorcycle in Chiang Mai and did like a two-week trip. I remember Mei Hong Song right, and right, then right. up to the border. Sure, with, so you saw the poppy fields. I guess I did, yeah. yeah you must yeah, have. I but, must have. But, um, I mean, I remember, you know, it was perfectly legal to, to go up to the hill tribes mm. and smoke as much opium as you want yeah. as long as you didn't bring it back into town. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah. I took full advantage of that. Yeah? yeah, how oh, was yeah. that? I, I've never smoked opium. Oh, you want, you want to hear my opium story? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one. So, you know, I had, uh, this is before, I couldn't speak any Thai, and I bought Rosetta Stone or whatever, and I learned how to count, and I yeah. learned, like, you know, a few words. Uh, this is, I think it was my second or, yeah, it was my second trip over, and I'd come with another friend. And uh, we went up there, and, and I'm trying to, you know, ask about how much it is and the guy's got the big long pipe and he's pointing at the bowl and he's like four dollars and i was like cool you know four dollars like yeah pack it up let's do it and uh we, we were at the top of this mountain it, like, like right when it starts to slope down the other side you mm -hmm. know and we're on the other side and we're squatting in this jungle and um we're smoking a bowl and he's laughing the, the old guy the old village elder he's laughing at us because you know we're, we're smoking with him and he keeps packing the bowls and packing the bowls and packing the bowls and we keep smoking and smoking and smoking and I, I feel like I had a, I'm catching a buzz, you know, like I felt like, eh, you know, I've, got, I've been more stoned than this, but, right. but I'll, I'll keep smoking, you know, maybe it's whatever. I, I don't know how, what's the appropriate amount. So um, what I thought he meant was, you know, for $4, we could smoke opium, right? right. Well, it was $4 a bowl. Right, so yeah. we, we wound up smoking 22 bowls, and it was like $88, yeah. you know, and it was like, oh my God, God. And, you know, if, but so we, we, we paid it, and we had taken a tuk-tuk up to the mount, uh, up, up the mountain, and we, we were going back down, my friend just threw up the entire way mm. down the mountain, you know, and I, I was fine, I was like, again, I was like a little buzz, but I, it wasn't hitting me, you know? Right. Um, was he high? Oh, yeah, like yeah. just 
wildly high uh-huh. and throwing up, like literally, not even stopping the. Being tutu. a deadhead sort of ruins it for you. No, huh? no. I mean, yeah. Well, no, because <laughs> here's what happened. So uh-huh. we get back to the room, and this was back when you had uh, Walkman, yeah, cassette sure. Walkman, yeah. that would, and I had one that would automatically like, you know, oh, reverse, reverse, and oh, play nice. the other side of the Fancy. tape. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I'm like my buddy's passed out completely passed out and i was and i'm again i'm a little buzzed but i'm like well i'm gonna throw on a tape and i'll you know see what happens next thing i know it's eight hours later and i i wake up and just ha- with these vivid technicolor dream memories that i had of just crazy like vivid real stuff and i was like wow that was intense you know like i can't believe it like i've been out for eight hours and like tripping my balls off while i was sleeping like that was unbelievable right so i'm like wow I, you know, was, that was, I gotta do that again and i put the headphones back on and i'm out again really another eight hours same thing tripping like soon as my eyes closed the show started and wow. it was like just the coolest wow. vivid technicolor like crazy like cartoony dreams yeah. like that made no sense Interesting. Um, and I did it three times I was out for like an entire day so it smoked way too much was the was the moral yeah. of that story but yeah. the only time I and every time I woke up I was fine I was like oh Oh, I'm cool now. Like right. you know, I can I can go out. And so your consciousness sort of was controlling it, and then when you turned it off, then it could. Well, you know, the only thing I can think of is like you see it, and again, I don't have a lot of experience with with real opium. Like I've you know smoked fake mm. opium and dead shows, whatever. Right. But, but you know, you see it in the movies, and the guy's always lying down. You yeah. Know, and there's you know pipe dreams, yeah. opium dreams. Yeah. You're right. And the only thing I can think of is that's what you're supposed to do. Right. Kind of. Right. You know, maybe. But the, yeah, be in that dark, comfortable environment. Yeah, just close your eyes and let it yeah, take you over. And, right. But yeah, and then um, I, the next time I went back, they they had passed a, a law. They were the the king decided that strawberries should be grown. No more opium. Oh, that's why there are all those strawberries up there now. Strawberries everywhere. Everything. Strawberry wine. Strawberry oh, jelly. Strawberry. And they're not even really that good. They're really not. They're kind of hard and green. Compared to opium. Strawberry but, dreams yeah. just don't do the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, that was my that was my opium story. Uh-huh. Right? You know, I'm I'm big on trying stuff once, and you know. Yeah. I don't necessarily need to go back and do it over and over. Yeah. But it was a good experience. Well, that's a that's a healthy approach, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you you, you come. I mean, I, I apologize because we're on a schedule. Normally, yeah, yeah. these podcasts are like, hey, just talk until you, you're tired. But we got to get to the airport. Um, uh, but I, I wanted to sort of get into your a little what you talked about last night, which you know you fell in love with Thailand. You were selling tie-dye shirts in Virginia, you said? Right. You had a shop there. So you start flying back and forth to buy stuff well, here that you could sell back home? Yeah, that, that came a little bit later. Uh-huh. Um, what, what had happened was uh, I, made, I made that second trip because I loved the first trip so much within mm-hmm. a couple of months. And I took a friend of mine who'd never been. Right. And, uh, and then there was a, a pretty long gap between me going back. I... I, this was right, right before, right during the Gulf War in Norfolk, Virginia, the first Gulf War, mm-hmm. and the whole town had cleared out because everybody got deployed, and my right. business just like tanked. Uh, I wound up selling my business for you know a, a decent price, and I wound up doing some other stuff, going on the road, selling T-shirts, and blah blah blah, hustling here, hustling there, and um, uh, eventually, I. I you know, after it, there was a, again, there was a few years there where I I didn't make a trip, and then I started coming back year in year in and year out. I'd opened another retail store at that point, mm. um, and I think that's what I was telling you. It was uh, I was doing buying trips, um, basically basically having a, a retail store so that I could come here to buy stuff to sell and mm. have an excuse to come, and I was spending longer and longer periods of time it started off you know two ten days then it was you know three weeks and then it was four weeks and you know i'd stretch it out as long as i could um and on uh i guess it was about seven years ago maybe maybe a little longer eight years ago i was on a, a buying trip and i got a call in the middle of the night that uh my store had burned down or it was on fire 
Uh, my mom was hysterical, you know, I, and I asked her, I just remember saying, can you put the fire out? And she said, no. And I said, then don't worry about it. And I'm not coming home. Um, and I, it's, it's, yeah. so, it's so funny. Like a mom calls you on the other side of the world. Like, yeah. Hey, your store's on fire. It's like, you better get over here. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember like, you know, I had no insurance and I, you know, completely wiped out. But I, at the time I was, it was, you know, when CDs were big, you know, I would burn your own CDs, and I had a huge collection of great live Grateful Dead oh. CDs. Um, you know, maybe I don't know six, seven hundred shows right. like on CD. Each show was like three CDs. It took a long time back then. It took real time to, yeah. to burn a CD. Yeah, I remember you know? that. Yeah. And I was like, "Can you get to the CDs?" You know, <laughs> that was the only thing I cared about. But um, but yeah, now once it was gone, it was like this burden had been lifted off me, and I, you know, I, I mean, I. It's amazing because I, I immediately realized, like, I didn't have to be there. And I, just, I could have done this, you know, a year or two years earlier. Mm. Um, and I, you know, again, no insurance got wiped out. But I figured, you know. I'm free. I'm free. Yeah. I don't have to go back. I Saved can, by a fire. Yeah. And I'm here. Like, if I would have been in the States, it would have sucked. Uh, because right. then I would have had to, like, figure out a way to get over here. But, right. But I was here, and I had a bunch of stuff that I'd already bought. And I figured, you know, I'll sell it online and see right. if I can make it work. And here I am. And it did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from what you said last night, it took some time to, to gear up. But Yeah. And, 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 a few, and a few colossal errors and judgment and oh. mistakes and you know <laughs> the shitty furniture the, the shitty furniture yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And if anybody's listening that bought furniture for me i'm really sorry about that <laughs> yeah well bennett told me the story last night about the furniture factory that made really nice stuff but the the wood wasn't properly cured so in the ship a lot of it no no I, we, I was i was basically taking orders and having the the good factory make the orders until a friend of mine talked me into opening my own That's factory right. yeah and unfortunately i knew nothing about making furniture so the wood wasn't yeah. dried properly yeah and people all over europe and australia uh, most of them got refunded just yeah. just so you know it's like <laughs> i didn't you didn't i'm run not away. hiding from it but uh you didn't run away with a, the money it was a huge huge learning experience yeah, yeah. um yeah. so how long you been doing the the shore design thing uh, I guess we've, I've been doing that about five years, maybe. Well, I'd started off as Mystery Buddha, which was just a, a, an eclectic mix uh -huh. of Thai handicrafts right. that included Shore. Shore was on, on there. It was always one of the original items. Right. I think I've been doing it since the store burned down. I mean, Do I, they really use Thai pubic hair in their weave? They don't. They Duncan. Don't. Duncan. Duncan misled the world. But he did it in such a funny way. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know? Like, there's nothing... You know, whenever I'm in a bad mood, some, some <laughs> dude, and I forget who you are, I'm sorry, it's, you're on Reddit, and I, and, I, and I love you, but you put together, like, all 99 commercials. Oh, did he? Yeah. Of it's, Duncan's... It's three hours long of nothing oh, but shit. short commercials. It's the funniest oh, thing ever. I got to listen to that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I actually paid for a program to down, so I could download it, like, legitimately. Right. And keep it forever. Right. You know? um, so, yeah, whoever you are, I forget who you are, but... Well, we got to yeah. find that. It, it, if I find it, I'll put a link to it on my page. Yeah. It's, so anyone who wants... It's pretty hilarious. I he's, mean, I, he's a classic. Yeah. No, no, you know, I can't even imagine anybody doing a, like a better job at, at yeah. th than he did you know well that's the thing i mean he sort of ruined it because like i uh, i toyed with getting creative and like doing something you know and then i just started playing a cut of him you know like for, yeah. for a couple of months i just i played duncan you know here, here's duncan talking about these shirts because yeah. he's right and i can't do it like that yeah i don't think anybody can yeah you know, he's uh, <laughs> he's, a, he's well, one of a kind there's man. something about them being like like blown out of some your asshole into the cosmic wow. i mean it just turns into this well he, I remember, he has a way I of it was letting like the go first or second one where he was like and, and you know think how cool it would be to get you know a shirt coming from thailand that's on a sea container and 
you know, you know, who, who knows? Maybe, maybe some opium will drop in there. <laughs> and then he's, he's going to get no, you no, in no, trouble. There's, there's probably no opium in there. I shouldn't have said that. And it was like <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I ever laughed so hard like sitting alone in my room. You know, just like yeah. you know, it was yeah, one of those things that every time I listen to it, I still still cracks me up. So how did you become such? You're you're like the the Santa Claus for podcasters. At least the podcasters uh, I know. That's all Duncan. Um, you know, I, I, I used to listen to the Lavender Hour. Oh, right. And uh, I saw Duncan. Duncan on, uh, I, I think I heard him on Rogan. Mm. And, and I, just as a lark, you know, I, I, I remember he was talking about sponsors. And it was back when he had the, I think it was the Lavender Hour when he had the sex toy company oh uh, uh yeah the the, the 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 fleshlights it was it fleshlight or was it some other company I, well rogan was sponsored rogan by fleshlight forever right. duncan i think had somebody else like oh. just some random like it was it wasn't a specific product it oh was just like, like a, a shop kind of thing yeah right. i forget but but i remember thinking you know well if they can sponsor him you know maybe i could and i yeah i sent him an email and you know it took him a really long time <laughs> but he emailed me back and and said yeah. you know i'd have to see the product and i'd you know i'd have to see ah, it okay i sent so him a bunch of it. stuff and it took him a really long time yeah but he wrote back and said you know these are great blah 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 and yeah. you know we worked out a deal and um but if it wasn't for duncan i would have never met you or right. or Bellelli and i would have certainly never approached another podcaster especially if he had if he'd said no i, I would have been like oh well that's you know, yeah that's that yeah. you know but yeah so it's it's all it's all duncan he gets all the, all the credit good good for duncan he deserves it yeah i mean i wouldn't even have a podcast if duncan hadn't talked me into it he was i didn't know what podcasts were when i met duncan you know he had me on his and then uh and, you know, I, I thought it was a radio thing, so I thought I was going to a radio studio. Right, right. And I ended up sitting in his living room, uh, you know, with a little thing on the table, and we got high and turned it on, and two hours later, it was over. And yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. well, that was just like hanging out with a cool dude. And right, right. Then we went and had some beers, and he was, you know, he was like, man, you should do a podcast. You, know, you meet all these people. And I said, oh, come on, I don't need more shit to deal with and all this. And he's like, no, man, I got this guy. He'll, you know, he'll do all the bullshit. All you need to do is like talk and record it. And so, yeah, and it, yeah, took off thanks to Duncan and Joe and everybody who sort of. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure about um, Bellelli, but I think it's the same thing. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Duncan's sort of uh, proselytized. And, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I still have the emails where he, sent, you know. Hooked oh, me up hooked with you up, and, right. and Daniele, you yeah, know, and, and it was. I mean, I, again, you know, I would have never reached out to anybody, right. you know, on my own. I I only did it to Duncan because I just, you know, I I I, I even remember the, the the Lavender Hour episode when he he did that rant about the Kardashians. Have you ever heard that? No, I'll play it for so. you when we're done. Yeah. It's still one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Like to this day, <laughs> um, and it's it's only a couple minutes long, but it, it you know I heard that and I was like, who is this? genius right <laughs> this mad this mad genius yeah, yeah who thinks like i do but yeah. speaks better than, yeah. you know than i could ever do that's true yeah, it, was, it was phenomenal did you hear the thing he did where he was talking uh he was interviewing some i think it was a pickup artist or something called snake yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, he's like seducing him <laughs> oh man yeah anyway yeah. all right enough about duncan by the way duncan is going on a, a big ass tour of the u.s uh starting in april i believe yeah, so I saw that. Uh, what, what is sponsored it? by be, you be your own god you are god you are god the you are god tour you are god tour <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that on his site the other day. Yeah, so uh, anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, check out the Duncan Trussell Family Hour and go see him live. He's fantastic. And, he, and he's, he's like one of these guys who's really talented, but he also likes to sort of keep it a little like uh what's the word it's not formal like i think a lot of times he goes out on stage almost uh, he's got a sense of what he's going to talk about but he can go crazy i saw him i saw him do a gig 9 11 it was like a year ago uh not this last september but the one before that at a strip club in la it was the worst thing ever yeah because it was like five comics 
and strippers. So all these strippers would be dancing, then they'd stop the strippers and have a comic get up. They still do that? I thought that was like it a was, it was ridiculous. 1960s thing. I know. It, it was like the worst audience ever because yeah. most of the audience had no idea there were going to be comics there. They and were there for the strippers. There, yeah. They don't want comics. They're all standing around laughing, talking with their friends. So these comics get up and they didn't even have a spotlight on them. So the comics stand in there in the dark talking to a crowd that doesn't even give a shit. It was horrible. And, and it was like watching the gladiators go in one after the other. Because I was sitting at the table with the comics. And you could see they were just like, oh, shit. This is impossible. So after three or four went up and died, Duncan went up and he said, um, "Could I'd just like to have a moment of silence for the victims of 9-11. And he stood there. <laughs> and so, like... You know, some of us got oh. uncomfortable, but most people oh. didn't notice anything. Oh, it's beautiful. And then he went off screaming at these inconsiderate fucks who sit here laughing with your friends when mothers of children jumped off those fucking buildings while the flames were... And he went nuts. Oh, no. it, was, it, was, it was like... Uh, like an Andy Kaufman thing. That's what I was thing, thinking. Yeah. It was like an yeah. Andy Kaufman that's thing. Beautiful. It was theater. It was an event. It yeah. was, I mean, well, anyway, I nothing less from him. Yeah. So thank you. I personally thank you for all the T-shirts you have sent to my Dude, mother. You know, it's my pleasure, it, man. By it's the way, it's been wonderful. That other batch is ready. Oh, great, great. Um, say say hello to Igor from uh, Croatia. Croatia. Yeah. Because <laughs> hey, Igor. He's, he's my new best friend. Oh, man. really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when I when I when I got sick and got and came in here, he texted me immediately. It was like. Who do you need me to kill? <laughs> so, Igor, I love you, man. Don't kill anyone. Yeah, don't kill anyone, but keep sending me those pictures. It's, <laughs> but it's a good, yeah. it's a good offer to have in your back pocket. It it's good. Igor, Igor is great. Yeah, Igor designed a shirt, right? He and did. He it was went very and cool. met you in Chiang Mai. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll show it to you. Wouldn't I? Yeah, I think I have a couple. I think yeah, you sent yeah, a couple yeah. my way. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's good, dude. But I meet, a, I meet a lot of people through through you and Duncan and who that. come to Chiang Mai yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's cool. you know it's I was recognized like five times on the streets in Were Chiang you really? Mai twice in Pai well Pai Pai actually makes more sense yeah it's smaller and it's more concentrated and it's, yeah. and it's more your kind of people but yeah but uh yeah no sitting in the street in Chiang Mai having lunch with somebody and a guy goes by on a motorbike and he looks at me like and then he stops and comes over like hey are you Chris You're like holy shit well, you know there's a huge digital nomad yeah copy. yeah did you meet any of those guys I did I met a few of them yeah yeah uh, there was actually a sort of a conference or something oh, going there? on yeah. when I was up there yeah yeah I guess I'm sort of a digital nomad at this point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and fear and actually I am too, even though I'm right. not at all. Like even a little slow and, man, and they, and they would shun me <laughs> for my lack of of ability. Yeah. But you know, I mean, essentially, that's that's what we all are. I guess. Right. Well, and it, it seems to be a growing movement. People who you know want to take their gig on the road. It makes sense. And they're generally really pretty cool people. You know. I mean. Yeah. yeah you know they. They're they're a closed little group for the most part. But, yeah. But they're they're. Uh, you know, as far as far as people in Chiang Mai that yeah. I meet, they, they tend to be pretty cool. Well, so for people who don't know what we're talking about, digital nomads are essentially people who make a living through the Internet in one way or another on their laptop. Coders, programmers, right. website designers, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And uh, I met one guy who was a video editor, yeah. you know, whatever you can do, like with a laptop and a Wi-Fi connection. But instead of sitting in L.A. paying a thousand bucks a month for rent and another thousand for food, why not be sitting in Chiang Mai where you can live great and eat great for what four or five hundred bucks a month, something yeah, like that? Yeah, don't tell anybody that. Sorry, no, uh, I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, it's, that's exactly even less. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, so you put you bank the other money or you use it to travel. So you spend sure. a few months in Chiang Mai. Where are some other popular places? Ecuador, Colombia. Uh, the Canary Islands. I, Cambodia is getting. Popular. Oh, Cambodia is big. Yeah, yeah. So, and there, there are like work centers that they're setting up, and there are websites where people can network and, and hey, cafes where, where people where they meet and yeah. you know, it's 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 actually uh, it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool. I, I kind of I'm kind of jealous that there wasn't such a thing when I was yeah. you know yeah, like me I'm too, too old. I'm too like you know even though I want to fit in and be part of the group, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, but, well, uh, but I can, uh, I can, 
you know, be, be happy for them. From exactly. Afar. That's yeah. how I feel. I mean, I've got a bit of a like a you know paternal vibe going with them. I right, think right. you know, like you know, they like hearing stories about back in the day when there was no internet and you know all that, but. I was talking to my buddy Justin, who uh, is up in Chiang Mai now. He travels all over the world. And uh, he really broke my heart, man, because we were talking about, you know, the downsides of travel. And one of the big downsides for me was no women for long stretches where I was on the road. And it's like, what are you going to do? You're on the road, you know, and that's any women who are traveling are either with their boyfriends or they're with their best friend from high school and they've got a pact that there's no way they're going to separate, which is fair enough. You don't want to leave someone stranded. But basically, as a single guy traveling in Asia in the 80s and 90s, there was nothing. No, it was totally different. Now, now, though, it's... You That's know, what he said. He's it's like, it's a buffet. He's like, oh, I just, I just, uh, you know, program Tinder to the town I'm going no, to. No, no, it, it's true. And I arrive, and I've got five dates waiting for me. Like, I what? A, I, I have a friend who I went to high school with who recently moved over here, and and I'd never, I'd never been on Tinder, not because uh, I don't do Tinder, but because yeah. I live here and I didn't know what Tinder was, right? <laughs> but he showed it to me. I was like, oh my God, this is like the best thing ever, you know? And, you know, he's meeting people right and left. It's, yeah. it's just amazing, though, how many, you know, compared to... when, funny. when right, right and left. Right and left. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> swipe right, swipe uh, yeah, left. Yeah. It was an accident. Um, <laughs> but when we were first coming here, you yeah. know, there was... You never saw single women by themselves, no. traveling by themselves. Now no. they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, doesn't help me being 52. But. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I also couldn't deal with the Thai woman thing. I should have. I, I was uptight. I was too uptight to yeah. negotiate what the hell's going on here. You were too uptight. I can't even, I don't understand that at all. Oh, really? Yeah. Even after all this time here? No, no, I'm saying you were, you were too uptight. Oh, you, should, oh, you, you can't understand me. You, you oh, should have okay. been able to deal with I that. I should have. Yeah. I, I was like, it was just like, I don't know what... I, I don't understand their motivation and oh, therefore oh, okay. like well, do you want to hang out with me or do you need money or like what exactly sure. is going on here oh that's still a complicated thing and for yeah. a lot of people to understand but you know it, real quick because I know you got to go but I, I came from a I, when I was 17 in Boston um, I worked at a, the Naked Eye with strip club oh right and, and so I saw like like the worst side of, of that thing because I, I got to know the strippers really well and I became right. friends with them and I saw how much they despise the customers. Right. Right. So when I first came here, I thought, oh, well, they must hate me the way they... That's they, it. They, I didn't want to be that guy. Right. Yeah. Except that it's completely the opposite. Yeah. You know, there is no there is no stigma attached to, to right. them doing it's, what they do. Right. So they, you know, the hangups in my head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it took me a while to get over that. I get it. But I Fortunately, I got over that. <laughs> you so, got over. Good for you, man. But no, no. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. But but. Uh, yeah. But also, it, you know, hearing myself talk about it, I sound so. Uh, I was so innocent then, thinking that I could ever understand anyone else's motivations. Right. <laughs> I can't even understand my own half the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe I wasn't clear on my own motivations. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, money, mixing money and sex has always made me uncomfortable. I, I had a big problem with strippers and prostitutes for a long time in a sort of, you know, white male guilt sort of way, you know, not that, not that I was condemning them, but it was so sad that they were forced oh, into totally. that position Whoa. and all that. And then I went to the Alaska Bush Company, the strip club in Anchorage. Right. And these friends of mine insisted that I go in and... And man, I, I was blown away. It changed my life. Because the women I saw in there were having so much fun. Really? And if they weren't, they were faking it right. really, yeah, really well. Yeah. They were making a fortune. Right. And, you know, there are all these Alaskan dudes who are out working on oil platforms and then come in for a week off and they've got more money than they can imagine. So they're just throwing hundreds all over the place. These women are making tons of money. And they were on a circuit, so they were women who were working in L.A. or Vegas or whatever, and they'd go up to Alaska for a week and make like six months. I wonder if it was. I wonder. I wonder if it was just the, the setting in Alaska that made them have so much fun, or if 
Because you know. think they had fun in the whole circuit? That's hard for me to believe. I don't know. But then later I lived with a stripper and, and I, I, you know, became like at this point, I've got several friends who are sex workers in one way or another. And I've I've uh, definitely modified my, you know, view. Yeah, on, totally. You know, like. Well, it's also changed a lot in the last. Yeah, that's true. X amount of years. That's whatever. true. Yeah. Yeah. It's become way more acceptable in the states now. I mean, yeah. you know, Portland is like most strippers per capita of any city. Is it really? Yeah, I and it's Atlanta. Well, they say it's Portland, and and the funny thing in Portland is also that they're very the strip clubs. A lot of them are very, um, you know, uh, like woman centered and empowering and very feminist ideals. Yeah, no, no, I, the I whole totally city. get that. Yeah, yeah, it's. it's but there was a time in the 80s when it was not like that. It, yeah. was, it was a lot of victims, yeah. you know, at least yeah. where I was. You know? It's funny, though, how we condemn the victims who are, you know, victims in quotes, who are, you know, working in the sex. Interesting how we, we feel so bad and we condemn uh, people who are working in sex trades in one way or another. But that same sort of reaction doesn't seem to apply when they're working in sweatshops or flipping burgers for three bucks an hour. No, sweatshops it does for me. Now, flipping burgers it doesn't for some reason, but it should. You're right. I, what I'm I trying to say yeah. is there's so many ways to be victimized by the system. Oh, I you get know it. What I mean? I, and, and listen, after living here and seeing how, and it sounds so cliched that I don't even want to say it, but like, you know, the girl who sends money home every month to her family and supports her family and goes back to her, her little village and is right. like, you know, the superstar rock star of the village. Um, and, and that sounds like it's bullshit, you know, until you've actually seen it, you know. Right. Um, so who might it? I don't know, you know. Are there are, are there people forced into prostitution? I'm, I'm sure there are. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I. But there's also I know there's a lot that aren't. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but the, yeah, the sweatshop thing's another. You know, I get because of the t-shirt business, I get right. asked that a lot. Right. Um, and one thing about Thailand. I, I mean, I, again, are there sweatshops here? Probably. I, I don't know. Like in Chiang Mai, there aren't, mm. you know. I mean. Yeah, I imagine more I, in Cambodia. Well, yeah, it's because the big companies all go to Cambodia right. and Vietnam. Bangladesh. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, in Chiang Mai, you know, the month of April, the factories closed so that everybody can go home and pick the, the Lamai fruits off the trees. Mm. You know, it's like, there, it ain't a sweatshop. <laughs> Believe me, I, yeah. I can't get anything made. Yeah. But um, I love that. What's the Songkran? Songkran, yeah. The festival. It shuts down for a week so, so we cool. can throw water on each other. Yeah, it's like the hottest time in Thailand and they celebrate by throwing water everywhere. Even in Bangkok, the businessmen walking around sure. with their briefcases wrapped in plastic. plastic. Yeah, you have to. Well, you know, they make not, there's a whole industry now. They make cases for the phones. Oh, really? And your wallet and your money. So uh, that when you're walking around, you know, it doesn't get, it's fantastic. It doesn't get ruined. But yeah, it's a good time. Listen, man, thanks for doing this. I, I hate to do this rush. Let's do it again sometime. Anytime, man. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't get to your recent story. Maybe we'll cover that in we, retrospect someday. Yeah, absolutely. Probably better that way. All right. <laughs> cool. Hey, and thanks for all your, your support over the years, Dude, man. stop it. Thanks for doing the I, podcast. I mean, as you know, I cut all sponsors out because I felt like, I felt ashamed that I was sort of... Uh, selling stuff and meanwhile encouraging people to like not spend money on stuff you know right, right, right. Uh, but yeah. but when it comes to short design t-shirts and uh harem pants yeah and, and <laughs> which which do not go to terrorists by the way yeah they don't go to terrorists and, and i don't give a fuck if you buy them so don't worry about it it's okay you, you really don't have to <laughs> yeah i know i kept forgetting to mention like there was some code and i kept forgetting to say it so yeah, don't uh, worry about the, the code. The, it's, the, the code is Sex at Dawn, by the way. It, it, always, it always was. It always it, was. It, and we never changed it. You'd think I'd be able to remember it. And yeah. that, that gets you 10% off. Yeah. yeah. But you don't have to fucking buy anything, so yeah. don't worry. All right, it's a totally voluntary thing. Yeah. All right, thanks, man. We Soti Jambuasa we soti jambu wasa wasa jambu
Oh, oh. 